Over the past 35 years, CIUT.FM, the volunteer-powered radio station in the heart of Toronto, has trained thousands of volunteers. Our charity-run station focuses on giving students and community members the tools to share their passion for music and their city. Support the sound of your city and our charity. Please donate at CIUT.FM. E-transfer, check, securities, and even cryptocurrencies. There's so many ways for you to support CIUT-FM. Visit www.ciut.fm to see how. We love to hear your voice as well. Give us a call the old-fashioned way at 416-946-7800 or toll-free at 1-888-204-8976. Hi, this is Naya. Please support my friend Donna G by making a donation to The More the Merrier. Go to www.ciut.fm to make your secure donation today. Thank you. This is Donna G welcoming you to this special edition of The More the Merrier, where I will be asking you to donate in support of Arts Radio. Of course, I have guests for you to listen and learn from as usual. And of course, there will be music. Up first will be my interview with Alexandra Petkovsky, a three-time Hollywood Music in Media Award nominee. We will be discussing her work on a Canadian short film called Better Off Texting, as well as Alexandra's work in general. After that, I will be chatting with Ray Ellenwood, an award-winning translator and author. Last week, I spoke to Adam Selig of One Little Goat Theatre Company about the publication and launch of Claude Corvo's The Vampire and the Nymphomaniac, which was translated by Ray. I want to find out from Ray how the event was and also how he works as a translator. Every now and then, you will hear spots on how to donate to CIUT. And you also hear about the grand prize that you could win. So keep it locked to CIUT 89.5 FM. The more, the merrier. We are very excited to announce our own CIUT-FM merchandise store. Each year, we hear from our longtime listeners and supporters looking for our logo t-shirts or swag items. Proceeds go to support our work. Our top donors will be getting exclusive discounts. Go to the top menu at CIUT.FM to find the new merch store. Donate now for your chance to win a trip for two to Reykjavik, Iceland, generously donated by our friends at Taste of Iceland. Become a CIUT member today. Click donate when you visit CIUT.fm. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G. And joining me is Alexandra Petkovsky. Alexandra, would you describe yourself as a, a composer, music director, music coordinator, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Donna. Um, yeah, I would describe myself as, well, overall umbrella music creative, but composer, producer, artist, uh, songwriter, I guess would be the sort of uh, pinnacles of that umbrella. <laughs> okay, so as we speak, tell our listeners where you are. So currently I'm in LA. Yeah, I just got here yesterday. <laughs> okay. And uh, where are you from? I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I actually lived in the States a kind of over cumulatively, I guess, for about five years um, over the past uh, 
I guess, portion of time of my life. Um, I'm actually spending all of November living in Nashville. Um, so I flew here to in LA where I'm at currently um, from Nashville. So I'm sort of a little bit of the, the nomadic sort of thing right now, which is uh, which suits me. So it's great. So what are you in LA for? So I've been nominated. Um, I yeah, it's amazing. I've been nominated three times uh, for the Hollywood Music and Media Awards, which are happening tonight at the Avalon um, in LA. So that's that's kind of why I'm here on this uh, on this current stint trip out here. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. It's awesome. And what are you nominated for? So the three. So one of them is best song score in a commercial. Um, like advertising for this Adidas international campaign. Um, I got the chance to create custom music to be a part of, uh, which was fabulous. And uh, the second nomination is best song score in a video game trailer um, for my trailer for Fortnite Paradise, um, which was, you know, again, really cool opportunity that I got to do. Um, And the song in that trailer is an original called Get Down. Um, with my artist project, uh, Fiora, F-J-O-R-A. Um, and uh, and then the third nomination is um, for best song in a short film, which I, you know, I got the chance to uh, score and then also custom create, um, I guess, like the opening and ending credits uh, song um, for the film Better at Texting. And uh, and yeah, so it's quite a, quite a stacked... Uh, quite a stacked year for me, I guess, this season, but no complaints. (laughs) Congratulations. Now, uh, the main focus is better at at texting, better at texting. Uh, I I came a little short, uh, created out out of the Canaan Film Center. So how did you get involved with better at texting? Yeah, I, um, so it was, I mean, it was great. I just wrapped, I want to say like a couple months ago, um, I was a composer and resident um, with the Canadian Film Center over the past, uh, I guess, year and a bit. And it's this program that the CFC, the Canadian Film Center, um, has with the Slate Family Music Lab. And basically, it was in this uh, landscape of the program that I got to collaborate with a host of directors, film producers, editors, and uh, Mary and I, who Mary Galloway is the fabulous director of Better at Texting, um, we were connected as a result of the CFC. And so that's kind of how that whole film project, um, you know, that's how it was born and came, you know, from inception to fruition. Um, and yeah, it was uh, just really a fun and very, uh, very easy um, in the best way. Like the the work was very easy because the communication was super open with Mary throughout the process. And that's what I love, I think, as a creative when people are super receptive and excellent listeners. So how did you work with Mary? Um, What was that process like? Was Mm -hmm. the film, for example, was the film completely finished and then uh, you looked at it and added uh, the music? Can you explain that process for myself and my listeners? Yeah, for sure. Uh, So the process with Better at Texting was I actually got the script, um, like, because Mary wrote the film, she wrote the script as well as directed it. And so I got the script um, just first and foremost, and got to go through it and read it. And then we sort of had some early conversations 
um, that were, you know, sort of as like a precursor to shooting um, beforehand where we could kind of have moments, uh, you know, peppered throughout the film, just going, okay, this is maybe this moment here is going to feel like this sonically. And then this moment here is going to feel like this sonically. And, um, and then, you know, when they shot it, um, it's, it's always an interesting, I think, kind of transition, like when you read a script versus how then, you know, the content that's actually captured visually. Um, and so then it was kind of going back in again and, and deciphering does do these, you know, current markers that we've, we've created these marker moments still make sense. Um, if so, excellent, let's go forth. Um, and, uh, and then massaging um, some of the other moments. So, yeah. Listeners, this film um, is about, uh, it's a short film <laughs> about an indigenous feminist and a devout black Mormon um, mm -hmm. high school girls who are forced to work together on a school project. Um, that That's two extremes right there. So that definitely makes it interesting. And then the casting is great too with these uh, two young women. And what did you think of the script of Better at Texting? What stood out for you? Um, was it the obvious or was it something smaller that you saw in the script that made you want to work on the project? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Like there were, it was very, um, I think their character uh, identities were very early on established in this. And it's a short, so it's very condensed as well. I think having to tell the story both from a visual standpoint and uh and audio sonic standpoint you really have to be very conscientious i think there's less time in a way to convey all the things that you know uh the filmmaker wants to convey about the story to the audience so i think for me reading the script um i really enjoyed that uh i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed that there were um clear uh embodiments of the characters um from the get-go and and then though that I guess probably about halfway through um the script uh I started kind of gathering that even though despite these two characters um distinguished differences they're very disparate uh they still have overlap between one another and commonality um, which also in in the scope of the film uh, we see as the audience we experience that when they enter this virtual reality um, point the this is why the film is called better at texting as well um, where they're they're texting one another and they've entered this sort of alt um, virtual reality space and uh, so I think also that too I, I will add like when I read the virtual reality um, part of the script, I was like, yeah, this seems like something that I could I could really get into a cool explorational, like fun um, music space to play with uh, mm -hmm. regarding that as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful scene where there's kind of like a, a, a swirl and then there's a, a split screen that um, is kind of merging the two together face to face as they're texting. So what sort of sounds did you create for that um, for that scene? Yeah, I had a lot of fun with that scene. Um, I sampled a bunch of different uh, like sampling. So I recorded a bunch of different um ping ding sounds from like a smattering of cell phones mm -hmm. um because they were i mean so if you watch the film you see these little blurbs that uh they pop up on the screen and they're representative obviously of the the text that they're sending one another 
And so I thought, you know, it would be kind of cool. And I talked about this with Mary too, in the creative process, how could we, um, without it being uh, over the top or, uh, you know, distracting, um, have interwoven in the, in the, in the queue in that moment, um, virtual reality uh, characteristics. And so I thought by sampling um, technological devices and because I think I also did like, I'm pretty sure I sampled a microwave and then I just sort of manipulated the sound a little bit and then using those sampled sounds um, as the tools, I guess, for better lack, yeah, for lack of a better word, like the tools in crafting um, all of the melodic and harmonic content in the queue. Um, we were sort of like, it was like a weird organic yet it's it's technology, but it was like an organic way of using technology, I guess, to craft that cue. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite fun. And yeah, I mean, I used like synthesizers, you know, more of the like I guess um, electro uh, side of things. And then of course, I always well not always, but you know, if the project if it fits with the project, I like to have um, some vocal elements present as well if I can get away with it. So because I sing, so yeah. Well, watching it, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't aware that there was a microwave being used. Oh, yeah, yeah, good. That's good. Great. <laughs> That's, let's keep it that way. Let's yeah. keep it that way. Connor. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, nice uh, sonic moments in there, definitely. There is a song at the beginning of uh, the film. Um, mm -hmm. Is it Call Me By Any Name? Is that the name of the song or am I misinterpreting nope. the name? No, that's totally the name. You got it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, where did that come from? That came from me, Donna. That came from me. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. I, uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I I really wanted the opening, as did Mary, um, we wanted the opening to uh, have a song. And, and then later on, I was like, you know, what would be really cool is if, because the opening is only so long. Um, that the song, you know, cuts off, I think a school bell rings, and then the song ends. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I thought, man, I, wouldn't it be great if we could then have like the full version of this song and credits, like, like a clean book ending way of doing it too. So I was like, this could be really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I thought, well, I thought that lyrically, uh, the concept of call me by any name, what does that really mean? Like, that means um, it doesn't matter what you call me as long as it it's you who's calling it. And I kind of had this idea because of the characters and their development and relationship um, toward one another throughout, I guess, the, the narrative of the film and uh, and how they kind of at the end of this film, they're not like together by, by any means, but there is this like flirtation sort of um, curiosity kind of bubbling under the surface. So I thought, you know, having it be like, youthful energetic like all of these things um you know in the like the production of the song but then yeah lyrically tying in that character relationship and finding a way to do so in a more universal way um was something that I was like that's kind of what I want to do there so that's sort of where it came from yeah and it makes sense uh, to me um, watching these two young women on screen and it starts out with the split screen of the tidy room and then the room that would have looked like mine <laughs> with everything all over the place. And, you know, the song is playing. It's, it's, mu it's youthful music. It connects, it connects them because uh, 
you know, the, the First Nations uh, young woman um, and the brown skin young woman, you know, they could, you could identify them differently uh, mm -hmm. depending on what you're seeing. So call me by any name in that sense. And mm -hmm. then also um, call me by any name, but do you know who I am in terms yeah. of, I, you know, my own, their own identities. So mm -hmm. the song worked uh, on a different, uh, on different levels for me. That's awesome. No, I appreciate that. That's that you nailed it. That's well, that's great. That's like totally what the goal was. So I'm gratified to hear that. It's awesome. Yeah. Plus it's plus it's catchy. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo, trifecta. Oh. It's catchy. Oh, God. Yeah. No, that's thank you. Oh, that's 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 awesome. Yeah. I'm like, I was very I had fun. Like, look, Donna, I had fun. It was a good time. Like I I feel like some projects, you know like with anything in life, sometimes some of the work, you know, is uh, you really, it's, you're going through the the phases and the stages and you're kind of banging your head against the wall, at least sometimes for me, like some projects, they really take a lot of um, energy sometimes to get to the finish line, which is totally fine. But with this, like, honestly, it was like pretty, like it felt just very fluid and cohesive. So it was fun. Like I, I, um, I think, when I finished the first kind of pass of Call Me By Any Name, I, I texted it to Mary, um, the director, and I sent her a video of me like lip syncing in my studio to the song, you know, because it was just like, I was like having a good time, you know, so I think that's what makes this project, um, you know, special to me because the, the whole film was just a fun, good time. <laughs> and it's doing the festival cir circuit. Yeah. It was just a uh, real world. Yeah, yes, it was. Yeah, it premiered at Real World, which was great. It played at Imagine Native um, at Tiff Bell Lightbox, which was really, really cool um, to be in the theater. There's also, I, I don't know, I don't think I'm supposed to say right now, but um, it, I'm sure there, it'll come out uh, in whatever time. Um, there's a couple of festivals in the States as well that we're really excited. Um, it's supposed to screen at as well. So yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's got legs, as they say in the business. Uh -huh. um, my friends would kill me if I didn't ask you about uh, Fortnite. I don't play, but <laughs> I mean, who doesn't know the word uh -huh. Fortnite? Um, so tell me about your work that you're nominated for, for, um, for Paradise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, hey, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I actually... I don't really play Fortnite, which is probably terrible to say. And I let's say that I'm going to start now. Um, now I really have the incentive. Absolutely. It's great. Um, but no, thank you. I appreciate that. The Fortnite. Yeah, I so I have an artist project, Fiora, and I sing. I do a lot of music actually in general for, um, I guess, at this point, film and TV where, um, you know, it's it reached the point where I, in the beginning, I was getting traction in mediums like, uh, yeah, film trailers, um, in-show promos, um, video game kind of spaces. But then it sort of escalated to a point now, which has been fabulous, um, where I have, you know, companies reaching out to me to custom create things. And that kind of, that's the, the, the gamut of that is fairly wide. That That's inclusive of one of those nominations. I mentioned earlier with the Adidas uh, international campaign uh, support is everything um, where they reached out and they were like, Hey, will you kind of, you know, do X, Y, Z um, for us? So yeah, the Fortnite. it's uh, the song is called get down and it's really, I get, I had like a really, again, I had a really good time 
um, in the creative process uh, for this. Um, and uh, well, I guess it's sort of, I'm my sound is cinematronic, so cinematic electronic. Um, and uh, this song in particular, Get Down, I think embodies those traits um, really a lot. Uh, I, I kind of love the cinematic opening that it has. And I really love the idea of setting, um, of telling a story with a song too, right? Because, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in the biz of musical storytelling. Um, it, you know, to, to picture, um, or if it's not to picture, it, I'm always telling a story um, in what I'm doing. And so I, I really, I really, I, yeah, I'll level with you. I really enjoyed creating Get Down because it has like an intro, which doesn't really happen sometimes. I, I feel like with certain songs uh, these days, sometimes it just sort of jumps into, there's like a, like the intro is like a, a musical thing, right? It's like usually like four bars and then we're into the verse, which is great. But um, Get Down has like a full on intro where it's kind of like, you know, in a world where it's the wild, wild west, what will happen playing in a theater near you? So kind of like has that sort of energy that I tried to um, capture and I had a really good time. Yeah. Um, and uh, in general, like, I think I've been very fortunate just to, um, I, you know, it's the domino effect. So, you know, I'll do a project and that project leads to another project. So the Fortnite thing um, is like, obviously Fortnite's a video game. Um, and I, you know, I've been in the video game space a little bit more, um, now I think as, you know, as a result of that and, uh, it's all, you know, it's all good. Yeah. How did you get involved with doing the trailer for, um, American Horror Story, the season 10 trailer? Yeah. So I work with, um, I mean, I'm, so I'm independent. So I just, I, I, I've been really lucky to, have met and built, you know, working relationships with different um, music supervisors, trailer houses, um, licensing companies, uh, not not just in Canada, but actually a lot of my work uh, takes place in LA. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a couple companies out here that I do a lot of work with. And one of them, um, you know, they, Lyric House LA, they um, connected me with uh, the people over at uh, AHS and they were like, you know, uh, they really love this, this vibe of this, this style and you do this style really well. And then we kind of, you know, we actually ended up going with a song of mine that I'd already done um, before and they just used it because they were like, yeah, this is what we want. And I was like, great, whatever, whatever you want. I mean, Hey, whatever American Horror Story wants, they could, they get, you know, that's, that's awesome. Um, so, so yeah, that's how that, that came about, which was really, really cool. Um, do you have any influences, like who influenced you, um, to sort of get into this business or once you were in the business, whose work do you admire? Um, oh, certainly. Yeah. I definitely have, uh, so many people I, I look up to and draw inspiration from, well, it's a pretty, it's a pretty diverse, uh, <laughs> um, gamut. I, I think, so right now I'm listening a ton to Labyrinth. Um, I'm a huge fan of Labyrinth and like the whole Euphoria soundtrack score he did is just fabulous. It's amazing. Um, and his music as an artist in general is just amazing. Um, Emil Mosseri, um, Nicholas Bretel, the artist Aurora. I love her. I think she's, you know, doing some wonderfully strange and ethereal things. Bjork, 
Atticus Ross, Trent Reznor. I mean, it's 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 a really uh, probably very random assortment, actually. Um, but I think the common the commonality um, of all of them is that they are artists in their own right, and they um, maintain uh, sonic identity uh, and you know identity. I think of self in general amidst the different uh, stylizations and genres that they create within. I love um, Nordic film, and mm. I can definitely see you working <laughs> on a project from that region of the world. Heck yes. So, I mean, totally. I, no, no argument here. No argument here. That would be so, amazing. <laughs> so have your, ha have your agents start reaching out, or you start reaching <laughs> out. Okay. I will be men. In Nordic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you have fun tonight Thank and you. I wish you success. And um, maybe we'll catch up later on another project that you do. I would love that, Donna. No, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. You know, good chats, you know. Yeah. Let's begin. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. E-transfer, check, securities, and even cryptocurrencies. There's so many ways for you to support CIUT-FM. Visit www.ciut.fm to see how. We love to hear your voice as well. Give us a call the old-fashioned way at 416-946-7800 or toll-free at 1-888-204-8976. Donate now for your chance to win a trip for two to Reykjavik, Iceland, generously donated by our friends at Taste of Iceland. Become a CIUT member today. Click donate when you visit CIUT.fm. Ta 
Hi, this is Naya. Please support my friend Donna G by making a donation to The More the Merrier. Go to www.ciut.fm to make your secure donation today. Thank you. We are very excited to announce our own CIUT-FM merchandise store. Each year, we hear from our longtime listeners and supporters looking for our logo t-shirts or swag items. Proceeds go to support our work. Our top donors will be getting exclusive discounts. Go to the top menu at CIUT.FM to find the new merch store. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. Joining me for this interview is Ray Ellenwood, who is an author, a translator, and so much more. But we're focused today on Les Automatistes. And uh, don't worry, uh, Ray's going to tell you everything there is to know <laughs> about the autonomous, autonomous movement. Um, you just launched... Uh, your translation of The Vampire and the Nymphomaniac, published by One Little Goat uh, Theatre Company. I wasn't able to make the launch. Ray, take me back to that night. How was it? Oh, it was, it was fun. First of all, 
the room was jammed. In fact, uh, I had a friend who contacted me later to say that he came, got a book and then left because there were just too many people. Uh, 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 COVID came into that a little bit as well. But it was it was full and it was a very receptive crowd. And uh, I think we did a brilliant thing by having uh, Steve McCaffrey finish the evening reading from Claude Gauvreau's Jappement à la Lune. It's a wonderful performance that he does, and it just left everybody jumping, you know, it's good, it's good. Tell me about that work. Le Jappement? Yeah. It, well, it's it was the last suite of poems that Claude Gauvreau wrote before his death, and it was the most intransigently phonic, that is, there, there are very few recognizable uh, words uh, in it, words that you would find in the dictionary anyway. And uh, Steve does a real performance, uh, a very musical performance of these texts. Which is why I wanted to be in attendance if I could, because um... I'm sure there is a challenge just reading these works, or am I wrong? Uh, yes, there certainly is. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, one of the one of my favorites is a essentially just a a phonetic sentence, uh, which w written out would be something like G A R I G A L O U, and then the L O U L O U L O U is repeated. Uh, on the page, it's just one line, but when Steve recites it, it just uh, it goes on. It's 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 like a, a coyote howling. It's wonderful. Can can you duplicate it for us? Well, he he does something like garigalu lu 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 lu, but he he varies it as he goes. Anyway, that's how the evening ended, and it was fantastic. Now, with my listeners, I'm always learning along with them. So introduce us uh, to this automat automatist movement, um, if you could, please. Well, it was a movement that uh, began in the, in the mid-40s in Montreal. Uh, it's skated mainly by the, by the painter Paul-Emile Bourdieu who was already an established painter teaching at uh, a college called L'Ecole du Meuble in, uh, in Montreal. Um, and he was a very inspiring teacher. And among his students were some of, uh, you know, our greatest painters, Jean-Paul Riopel, Mousseau, uh, Marcel Ferron, Pierre Gauvreau, Claude's brother, uh, Francoise Sullivan, who is still painting energetically. Uh, this was this was a group of of artists, and it were, they weren't just painters; they were theater people and writers, who have had a huge impact on the culture of of Quebec and Canada. Now, how did you um, become involved? Or how were you introduced to Gauvreau's work? Because the event on Monday was um, mainly the tra um, your translation 
of the nymphomania, the vampire and the nymphomaniac. So how did you become introduced to Gofro's work? Well, I was a, I, uh, for my graduate work, I was at Rutgers University in the United States. I was doing comparative literature and I wrote a PhD thesis on the surrealist Andre Breton, who is a kind of a spokesman for the whole movement. Uh, so uh, I was I was working on French surrealism, and in uh, 1971 I was looking for a job, and I went to Sherbrooke University and met Doug Jones, who was head of the Department of Canadian Comparative Literature there, himself a translator and a poet. And uh, Doug Jones said to me, well, you're interested in these French surrealists, but do you know anything about the group called the Montreal Surrealists with writers like Claude Gauvreau and Thérèse Renaud and associated with people like Paul-Marie Lapointe? And I confessed my total ignorance, but uh, I was piqued. And it just so happened that when I came to Toronto to teach at York, uh, my colleague Barry Callahan had started a magazine called Exile, and Barry said, "I've got a, I've got a, a translation of a poet called Claude Gauvreau, whom they say is a really interesting poet, but I, I don't get that from this translation." So he asked me to look at it, and and I did, and I thought the translation was not good, and so I did another, and Barry published it. And then from that interest in Claude Gauvreau, uh, you know, everything, everything followed. I had also been translating Jacques Ferrand, a medical doctor, writer, uh, who was the brother of Marcel Ferrand, the painter who had signed the Automatiste Manifesto of Refus Global. So it's a whole network. It's a, it's a lifetime network as far as I'm concerned. Can you sum up this manifesto for us in just a few sentences? It's it's a manifesto that insists that the Quebec culture must come of age. And to do so, it has to throw off the chains of servitude to the church, to the society, you know, to, to, to a whole educational and cultural establishment that is that is repressive. And it talks about the importance of surrealist investigations into automatism. And it says, make way for magic, make way for love, you know, we're going to, we're going to transform the world by liberating our unconscious and plugging into the kind of poetic stream that runs in the society. It was, it was a heavy emphasis on non-rationality, non-control, and non-repression. Okay. Now, for those who are listening who are not familiar with the term surrealist, we've thrown it around a couple of times, yeah. so uh, could you please translate that? <laughs> well, surrealism was a movement that began in France uh, in the in the 1920s, after the First World War, it was uh, associated with earlier movements such as Dada and Italian Futurism, 
and surrealism advocated uh, a rejection of restrictive reason. And it put a great deal of emphasis on freeing the subconscious by tricking the, the, the conscious sensor, by writing things automatically without control. Uh, also a huge emphasis on dreams fundamentally to, to liberate the unconscious mind. And they believed that to do so could have social impact, not just on the individual, but on the society as a whole. And surrealism had a, had a huge impact on, on contemporary culture through its, you know, through painters such as uh, Sal Salvador Dali, although Dali was rejected eventually by the surrealist group. Uh, you know, the, the 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 painters involved with the movement uh, were were became central to our to to the sense of modern painting in Europe and North America had a huge impact. What is it that draws you uh, to the surrealist and to the automatiste? Well, probably that emphasis on freeing the unconscious and the fact that uh, both movements rejected a kind of rigid realism and naturalism that had been happening in art before that. The Montreal surrealist, the automatiste movement, moved more in the direction of pure gestural abstraction than even the French surrealists did. In fact, that was a bone of contention, whether or not painting should be abstract or not, or whether it should depict dreams or not, that, that kind of thing. Oh, I had no idea there was some friction there. Oh, yes, there was debate. Uh, and uh, the, the Canadians were associated with abstract you know what was called in the united states abstract expressionism but all of that had been influenced by surrealists such as mata or andre masson you know there's a real there's a real connection it's just a development that happens over time and the automatist group were part of that you're listening to The More the Merrier on CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G reminding you that this is a fundraising show. We'll be right back with my guest Ray Ellenwood to talk about his translation of the work by Claude Crovo called The Vampire and the Nymphomaniac. But I just wanted to give you the numbers again to call 416-946-7800. That's 416-946-7800 or go to www.ciut.fm and click on Donate. I'll also give you these numbers and website after my interview with Ray. Now, I want to talk to you about your work as translator. You mentioned the work previously that someone said was not up to par in terms of translation. Um, for you, how do you approach um, translating? What did you, for example, the piece that you talked about previously, what did you do that the previous translator didn't? Well, I think, I think the, what, what had struck Barry and what struck myself was that the work simply didn't read well in English. So one of the things you have to do when you're a translator 
is to produce a text that will be, if you like, available to your to your target language audience. And uh, you know, when you start with with a text that is already difficult in the original language, already obscure for people reading it in French, it's a problem, and you just <laughs> you right. just do the, you do the best you can. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. You have this obscure text, and then here you are in in one language, and here you are trying to translate it into into English. Um, was it jarring for you? Well, you could even say it was a kind of liberation because you know the fact that so much of what Claude Gouvreau does is is nonsensical in the in the in the dictionary sense of the word and and uh and often phonetic you know i'm i'm free to to play some of my own games as i do the translation it's kind of balancing that that respect for the original text against my my own needs in putting it into my own language mm -hmm. and uh your latest work the nymphomaniac and the vampire um, by the time you got to this, were you so familiar with Govro that this was um, easy for you? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it wasn't easy. I um, I saw a production. I had translated Govro, as I said, beginning in the early seventies. Mm -hmm. But in in 1996, I saw a production of this opera in Montreal by a group called Chant Libre. And uh, it just it just bowled me over. It was a magnificent production in its in the in the artistry of, of the singers and actors and in the set and the costumes just blew me away. And so I swore that I was going to do a translation of that work. And it only took me a quarter of a century, so I feel quite proud about that. Oh, just a quarter of a century. Just a quarter of a century. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just finished the the translation last year. It kind of I kept coming back to it and saying I have to have to get it done. Other things got in the way and and it's it wasn't easy. It takes a certain amount of energy to get down in front of a text that demands so much of you. Mm -hmm. Now, I know of your work um because I saw Adam C. League's uh, The Charge of the Exformidable Moose, and I, I have a copy of, of the text. So how, but how did you meet Adam? You know what, I can't even remember when or how we first met. Uh, we just somehow got together and began talking about the play, and Adam was interested, and I was astonished that anyone in English Canada would be interested, astonished and delighted. And uh, one thing led to another and eventually it was produced. And I thought a very good production did. Were you able to see the play or? Yes, uh, yes, I saw the play. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what did you think of it? I thought it was challenging, but, to, but it was exciting for me to see something so different. Um, and I enjoyed it. Well, I think that's what, that's the effect that we're hoping for, you know? Yeah. And uh, Adam and his team, one little goat uh, 
team re really did a good job of it, I thought. I was delighted. And it was seen by people like Francois Sullivan, who signed the Automatiste Manifesto and who is one of Canada's great artists. She saw it, she was delighted. Uh, Janine Carreau, who was uh, the, the wife of Claude's brother, Pierre. Pierre is a painter and also a writer and director for television and radio, uh, or, or was, he's now dead. Uh, Janine and Francoise saw the play and, and, were, and were bowled over by it just as I was. It was, it was fun to see it. I had no idea that they had actually seen it. Yes, um, yes, they, they came yeah. to see the play. Oh, that must have been delightful for Adam. Steve McCaffrey, Steve McCaffrey came to see it. And uh, Adam talked about that the other night. Apparently there, there was some, uh, Steve and Karen were there to, to, to have a kind of a, a special production for them alone, as I understand it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure of the whole story. In any case, for me, that was an enormous event. That was the first production of a full length play in English by Claude Gouvreau. I know that Lorraine Pantal, who has been the director of the Théâtre du Nouveau Monde in Montreal, the most important theater in Montreal, I know that when she had a kind of sabbatical year at Stratford, uh, she tried to convince them to do Gouvreau, but uh, nothing came of it. Too bad, in my opinion. Yeah. Because it's challenging. And one of the things that I appreciate about um, Adam, I'm not, I can't quite remember how I met him either. Um, <laughs> one of the he things is, that I... He is in the atmosphere. He's floating <laughs> around making connections. One of the things that I appreciate about Adam is that he is not afraid to bring something new to the stage to bring something that people may never have explored before and bring it to the stage before adam i'd never really heard of poetic theater and um he, you know he stands he, he stands firmly in his in his place and he's comfortable in his place and um while other people are doing more accessible things with nothing wrong with that he is presenting something different uh, to challenge us, to step out of our comfort zone and to find out if we, even if we don't like it, we will have been exposed to something different and something unforgettable, uh, which is what I like about Adam and One Little Goat. And um, your translation of, you know, of, of, of Claude Gouffreau's work is something that I appreciate and I'm looking forward to actually reading the text because I've read the text of the Exformidable Moose and um, it's not your everyday reading. Um, but again, I enjoy that. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I do this show to introduce people to new things. And, um, and what you're doing is certainly something that is challenging. What gives you joy about your work? Well, what gives me joy is exactly the reaction that you've just given. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when people 
like it even if it even if it shakes up their preconceptions about what theater is or what poetry is mm -hmm. if they react to it even negatively uh it, it's it's a it's a pleasure to me and uh, uh, the other night at the at the reading some people came up and and talked with such enthusiasm you know it just that's what it's all about as far as i'm concerned I find that the that kind of conventional theater in in Canada is is a bit timid. I think Stratford is very timid. Uh, there needs to be there is a lot of disturbing and experimental theater in the world that is that is not being seen at least in English Canada. And I think that's too bad. And I'm very delighted that people like Adam and One Little Goat take the risk and, and put it on. So is theater more challenging in, in Quebec? Well, I think it, it just seems to be that, in my experience, if you want to see experimental theater, you'll see more of it in Montreal than in Toronto. Okay, I hear you, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's becoming safe. It, I, I agree with you. Things are becoming safe here, and I'm hoping uh, that will change. Um, theater is struggling after COVID, but maybe eventually, um, experimental theater will continue, and it doesn't have to be on a large scale. You know, just little pockets here and there of experimental theater um, being presented, I think would excite the theater going audiences here. I agree. Now, um, after your 25 years, in, you know, on and off of translating <laughs> um, uh, the, the vampire and the nymphomaniac, what a title by the way, um, um, will you be doing more readings of the work? I don't know. Um, thing, you know, I'm retired. Mm -hmm. I have no, I have no immediate pressures on myself, either economic or, or cultural. I, I, I will take what comes along. I think it's quite probable that I'll, that I'll do another translation of Klogovro. I don't know what it will be or of somebody else. Um, um, of course, always at my back I hear time's winged chariot hurrying near <laughs> so I have to I have to kind of discipline myself to get on with it while I can yeah but I don't uh, but I have no project for the moment okay you're just going to bask in the fact that you've finished this oh, I'm and delighted with this and, yes. it, and it's out there uh, what do you think of the object itself You've, if you've got the book in front of you, what do you think of it? I don't have the book in front oh. of me. I was going to pick one up um, at the reading, which I wasn't able to go to. But when I do get my copy from Adam, I will be sure to let you know. And I'll, okay, also, be thank you. And I'll also be sure to let my listeners know. And maybe once I have the book, I'll have you back on and, I'll have <laughs> and, and we'll have another okay. dis discussion um, once I've read it and I can, you know, I'll have my questions ready for you, Ray. 
Well, I ask the question because uh, I find it just a nice object in its own right. It, the cover is, has photographs from the 1996 production of the play in Montreal, and it's a stunning photograph. Uh, and uh, there are, there's a, a central section of uh, black and white photographs of the same production. So it's a and it's a it's a flip book. You read it from one side in English and from the other side in French. Yeah. Toward toward the central little portfolio of black and white photographs of the production. I'm just delighted with the with the object, with the thing in my hand, you know. So yes, I'd be delighted to hear how what you think when you have a chance to look at it. I like the feel of books. I like how the weight in my hand. I like fonts. So I'm looking forward to, to reading it. And as I said, I will have my questions ready for you, Ray. Okay, that's all I ask. <laughs> okay, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special fundraising edition of The More the Merrier. Reminder, www.ciut.fm for all the ways to donate and the prizes that you can win and also our merch store, our merchandise store. Music on today's show, the first track that you heard was by Lorraine Classen, Juno Award winner and daughter of the legendary Tandy Klassen. You heard Jolyn Como. Another Juno Award winner is Jelly Tapa. She is uh, out of Mali, and she is from a griot family from West Africa. Her mother is Candia Kuyate. The track you're about to hear is Départ pour Lune. I just want to say again how much I appreciate you tuning into today's show. All my social information is at www.ciut.fm. Click on the more the merrier and don't forget to donate. Thank you. I'm a 
Kolama, Ela, Vivi. 